Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause. In today's show, I'm very happy to welcome a special guest. Her name is Lynn Yap. Lynn is not only a great entrepreneur, she is also someone dedicated to have a positive impact in the world. She is the founder of many ventures, such as the Activate Network, which focuses on supporting women create their own career path. And she is the author of a book called The Altruistic Capitalist, which touches on the very interesting concept of making profit while doing good in this society. So Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for hosting me, Anna. Great. As people heard, you've been very busy, involved in a lot of different projects. I'd like to ask you, how many coffees do you have in the morning to be able to do all those kind of things? Uh, that's a fun question to, to kick off our discussion. I probably just have one coffee in the morning. Then I go on to have tea. I don't need caffeine to get my day started. Mm-hmm. How I do like to start my day is actually with a run or a little bit of yoga in the morning. And then I also have like a journaling practice. I just take some time to write every morning, get my thoughts in order to reflect a little bit as to how things are going and what I want to achieve in the next few days or in the coming day. So that's more of how I structure myself and I guess inspire myself and motivate myself for the day great it's great that you have a, a set a routine that yeah, you follow every day i think it's very important to to do that to to set your mind for the day and things you you have to do i've actually read somewhere i think that you speak around eight languages is that right or <laughs> yes at different levels but yes it's eight i grew up in malaysia in kuala lumpur so uh, bilingual uh, when i was growing up malay and english and my family has roots um has this I have a Chinese heritage, so I also speak a couple of Chinese dialects. Mm -hmm. And I think that has helped me pick up languages as an adult. So um, I work at Adidas in Germany. And uh, for instance, that's one of the other languages that I speak. (laughs) Wow, that's very impressive. I'm kind of struggling with the the languages that I'm speaking. So learning eight is quite impressive, but uh, but great. Thanks for for explaining. Uh, So as I mentioned, you are an entrepreneur, someone trying to have a positive impact on the society. So I think it'd be very interesting to hear how you started, what brought you to wanting to do good in this world on different levels, society, maybe schools, entrepreneurs, corporate world, etc. And when did you start doing all that? Um, thank you for the question. I, I think for me, it's been a gradual journey, Anna. I have a very traditional business background. I started out as a corporate lawyer. Uh, and then while I was there, I started doing working a lot with investment banks and I found that work quite exciting. So that's why I transitioned in finance into the investment banking world, where I worked um, to take startups public, including companies like Facebook and Groupon, which is quite a while now. Um, while I did all the things that you know people said, 
would, would be the formula for success and happiness. You know, get a good education. I graduated with an MBA from Morton. I got a great job uh, as a corporate lawyer and then move on to investment banking. So these were the recipes for success and happiness, if you like, that I was, nice. you know, that, that we're told. I was told when I was growing up. But yeah. even after I've achieved all that, I found that there was something missing in, mm. in my life, like that there was meaning that was missing. And so I left investment banking and I started to work with companies that were a bit more focused in increasing the impact on the environment as well as the communities around them. Mm. Um, I was looking for a way in which that I could make work more meaningful for me and that I could create an impact myself. So while I, I was, you know, I had my day job, I, I worked at Estee Lauder and as well as Adidas. On the side, I started to volunteer to mentor entrepreneurs, to mentor women, to get involved with different ways in the community. Mm. Uh, ultimately, I found that what really drew, what really inspired me or motivated me or energized me was working with women. Mm. I wanted to see, I want women to have an equal opportunity or equal access to have a voice at the table, to have a seat at a table. Mm -hmm. And so that's why um, I left Adidas, which was my last corporate role, if you like, um, to start the, the organization Activate Network. Um, and that is an organization that works with companies, that partners with companies to deliver leadership programs. Right. Now, these leadership programs are a little bit different from what you might typically see mm -hmm. um, in a, a couple of ways. Um, firstly, experiential learning. So the participants in the program, they work together to solve a business problem and that helps them, well, improve the self-confidence, improve their coaching and mentoring skills, mm -hmm. presentation, critical thinking, problem solving, mm -hmm. and just collaborating with people who are different from you. So firstly, it's experiential learning. Secondly, it's also working with multiple generations. The participants are women employees from the companies that Activate Network partners with, right. as well as female students from school. So you have, right. let's say, girls between the ages of 13 and 15 working with women participants to solve a business problem. And that is actually quite different because you now have to start thinking, okay, how am I going to communicate with people that I wouldn't usually work with sure. in order to solve a, a problem? And so that is one way in which you flex your, how you motivate people, mm -hmm. how you influence people, how you communicate, how you, how flexible or adaptable you Absolutely. are. Um, so that's another aspect of, of the program that is different mm -hmm. compared to other leadership programs. Oh, and the final thing I want to say about the leadership program, how it's different is that it delivers a positive impact on, a f on three stakeholders of the business. Mm -hmm. So firstly, for the companies itself that partner with Activate Network, mm -hmm. there's a real business value that is delivered to the business. So for instance, if there's a specific business problem that the participants of the programs are working on, they get an answer. And, it, you know, it's usually the students, usually the target market of the business problem are the students. Is that perspective, mm -hmm. is that younger generation perspective that companies not don't necessarily have direct access to. Right. And now they have direct access to the insights and perspectives of this niche market. It's sometimes an underserved market as well. Right. And so you, they have that business value and business impact. So second, on the women employees, as I said, my vision is for is to have is one day for women to have an equal 
opportunity and equal access um, to have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Well, now with this program, they develop and grow their confidence. They develop a network with the other women participants that help them and support them in order to move their career forward. It also gives them like real practical, I guess, practice for their leadership skills. They um, coach each other, the other women participants, but they also coach the students in the program. Um, helping the students um, deliver, um, you know, do some of the exercises to come up with solutions. So basically mm -hmm. it trains them to deal with people who are different who are mm -hmm. from them, you know, mm -hmm. a different perspective uh, and gives them practice to flex their leadership muscles. Mm -hmm. And then finally on the students themselves, which is, you know, the community, it's social impact. They, now these girls, now these female students see women who are working in, in different types of roles. So they are inspired. They have role models mm -hmm. to look up to. Um, and I have to say, for me, it's really powerful, the impact on the student when there is an adult mm -hmm. that's outside their usual circle, that's outside their family circle or, or their, their, their uh, where they grew up in, mm -hmm. that pays attention and is willing to invest time in their development and in their growth, Absolutely. that being seen by someone else and accepted for who they are gives confidence, a lot of confidence to the female student. Mm -hmm. And you can see them literally blossom in this program and it helps them, uh, it inspires them to actually strive and, and try a little bit harder in school to finish their university mm -hmm. and to look into different career opportunities that they might not be aware of before. Absolutely. So that's, I guess, the leadership program in a nutshell and what I'm working on at the moment. Right. Definitely you seem uh, passionate about that program and I think it's very interesting. And I think everyone deserves to have some sort of a coach or a mentor in their life. And, and as you say, those girls might have you no know, parents, family, friends and schoolmates. But at the end of the day, having an adult maybe in a company, you know, brings a lot of uh, like a different perspective on how to do things and give them trust in themselves and confidence as well. So I think it's a really, really great program. Um, I've actually talking about mentor. Have you ever had such a kind of mentor in your life or not really? Um, I can't say a formal mentor relationship. I've had different people in my life support me um, mm -hmm. at, at my work. Of course, my parents have always been an incredible support to me. They've always guided me and the things that I want to do and really unconditionally Anything that I do is they give me the unconditional support. So not any formal mentoring relationship, but I've had different people in different times of my life who said, oh, maybe you should think about this. So I've been very fortunate in that way. Yeah, that's great. I think it's it's important to find the right people, to surround yourself with the right people so that you can grow and you can see things differently and make some steps towards your you know, personal or professional goals as well. Um, what do you think those girls, when they start the mentoring program, how are they feeling? Are they kind of scared? Are they doubting about themselves? What are some of the self-doubt that they have? And how do they leave the program at the end? How long is the program actually? All very good questions. Um, so the program is only three months. And you'd be surprised at how much they mature and they blossom in that three-month period. So usually when we start the program, they're, of course, a little bit shy, perhaps even intimidated, a little bit anxious. Um, to start off, also the women, the women participants who coach the, the students are a little bit nervous because you don't want to do the wrong thing. Nobody, everybody wants to be on their best. So 
women and the female students are nervous on their side. Uh, for the students, I think they, there's a lot of uncertainty in that age, obviously. Is it mm -hmm. 13 and 15? It's a difficult yeah. age for anyone. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty. What if I make the wrong decision in terms of my career? What if there's like social media anxiety and all these other things and pressures that students of that age come face mm -hmm. but in that three-month period when they have their one-on-one -on -one sessions with the women um, coaches they you know women coaches typically how they're trained is in the program is to share their stories mm -hmm. how is it that women have overcome some of their challenges what is it that they've done um, and, and to be vulnerable a little bit um, to be vulnerable and to share um, that it's okay, um, that we all face difficulties, that we all feel stressed, we all feel anxious. Um, and that helps, I think, the girls to also then feel more confident yes. um, that they can overcome anything. And they, you know, and they know that there's no right or wrong decision, that everything will take its time. And, and they, I guess they feel calmer at the end of it and definitely more confident. Um, what I, so I, we also do impact assessments mm -hmm. at the end of the three months. Okay. Um, so from the school perspective, the school, I get the perspective from the teachers um, who then observe the, the implementation of these programs. From the school perspective, a lot of them, um, a lot of the students um, that the school reports that the students become more engaged in their classes uh, because there is also an implied focus on digital and technology, on innovation, because I think it's important for women also, for women to be heard in this space. Um, they also start seeing career opportunities within the tech and digital space. So for instance, students who are interested in the arts, um, in design, um, we talk to them about different careers in user experience, user design um, that they might not have known before. They would think, oh, well, I'm interested in art. I'm just going to be an artist. And, you know, they, mm -hmm. they're not aware of the different right, types yes. of careers and opportunities that they are. You, know, you can work with Pixar, you can work in animation. That is something that then they get excited about and they start thinking, oh, yes, I should start playing around in the digital space and understand how technology can help me express myself artistically from a design perspective. So I have to say, at the end of the three months, the girls are quite energized and a lot more confident than when they started because they have now been exposed to all these different things and ideas. Right, absolutely. I understand that. And it's true when you are perhaps a student, you're not aware of all the opportunities that exist in, in the market or in the world. So working with people with a different background, either educational or professional, kind of widen your, you know, opens your mind and widen your perspective. So absolutely. Very, very interesting. I think we all need to have a, some sort of mentor or coaches in our lives. So and uh, talking about those mentors. So we talked about those youngers and people learning from mentors, but do mentors... What do mentors learn from the schoolgirls? Because obviously, you know, it's a collaborative work, so surely it's on both sides. So what, what's your opinion on that? Indeed. And as I said, the impact assessment is also done from the women participant perspective. So for the business, the women then feel that they're doing, that the company is doing meaningful work and that is creating an impact for the community. So the women feel more loyal and more engaged to the company brand because mm -hmm. they see that this is something that the companies are invested in. It's invested in a community. So they have, they feel more connected to the company. Mm -hmm. 
They also then develop relationships with the other women participants in the program that they might not usually work with because they come from different business units and also because it's now 100% virtual program. They connect with women also in different parts of the world. Some are from, we've had a women participant from South Africa before, and we have women in the US, we have women in, in Europe. So it's an opportunity f- across the organizations, mm-hmm. across the organization for women to connect and to make those relationships. And to your point, I think a, a good one to bring up, I think what the women participants realize is that they learn so much as well. When you work with someone in that age group, they're still very open and they're you know, very energetic and enthusiastic. They, they become more creative and more open-minded as well, the women. They are more inspired and they start to, when they do the problem-solving stage, when they are in the problem-solving stage together, they can see, oh, you know, that is not something that an adult would say in terms of idea creation, ideation. Um, students uh, think in a very different way from how adults because we have frameworks or we based on our experiences we process things differently so the women in one sense become more creative and become um, more open-minded as well and then of course when you coach someone and when you mentor someone you a lot of times you start to reflect on your own experiences so they become better leaders um, themselves they understand they are able to a certain extent even see see some of their blind spots they might not have noticed before, just mm-hmm. based on working with with the students in that way. Um, each mentor, each woman participant has um, two students that they work with. And usually how I like to set up and match the participants is the women will get two candidates, two students who are very different from each other. Right, so for, for instance, one who is extroverted and one who is quite introverted. Mm-hmm. And that means that they, because as managers that happens, you don't you don't have someone that's exactly, your team is not, doesn't all look the same. Sure. The members of your team yeah. are all very different mm-hmm. and you have to learn and adapt the way you manage, the way you lead different people in different ways. Absolutely. You have to find different ways of motivating them, of, um, of, of guiding them and helping them grow. And so it, it's a real practical experience when they have to adapt and change their communication styles mm-hmm. with someone who, with a student who is extroverted or with a student who is introverted. You have to maybe, for instance, this is one that I, I typically advise the, the women participants with introverts, give them a lot of time to process. If you're asking them to do a task or to prepare for the next session, mm-hmm. tell them in advance, what is it that they need to do? Right. Uh, whereas extroverts can, some of the extroverted students can, they can talk on the fly and they're quite comfortable and not having that space and that time to think and reflect. Mm-hmm. Whereas introverts in general, the students that we work with, they need that extra time and space to think about things um, in order that they get the full benefit of this mentoring slash coaching relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and so the women then also learn how to communicate with students and with people in general who are very different ways of working, ways of communicating, uh, ways of thinking as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty big uh, learning curve, I guess, for people who are mentors. Actually, maybe it can come as a surprise as well. Because, you know, as you said, adults, we maybe we are kind of biased. We have our own experience. Um, you know, for many years, we've been doing things maybe the same way when, uh, you know, younger people are kind of fresh, new in the market and they, 
figuring out things. And uh, yeah, it's a great initiative, I, I believe. And still coming back to, to mentors, how do you select or how does the company select who will be eligible to be a mentor? Are there specific criteria, personality traits or work experience? How do you select them? Good question. Um, this is actually done on the company side. Um, that is up to the company to select which participants they want to be part of the program. Um, on Activate side, I guess the criteria is that, well, there is all the security checks. I'm not going to go in, in, sure. into all of that yeah. because we're dealing with 13, 15 year old girls. Right. So there are security checks. Mm -hmm. um, but really for me, it's people who want to invest their time to help and support the next generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. You remember they're 13 to 15 year old girls. So what you're imparting onto them has a very big impact. You can, if you can imagine Absolutely. this is one person that they will probably remember what you're saying for, for a very yes, long time. Sure. So also how you respect that time. So be present, be, if you're, you show up for all the sessions, you should show up for all the meetings punctually and just be prepared. So that's on the activate side that the women participants want to invest mm -hmm. and support that future generation of leaders. I think that's more or less the, the basic criteria, right. very essential criteria. Yeah, we make a bigger impact on people or on the world when we are dedicated to do that and motivated. So obviously your mentors are motivated to commit their time and invest you know, in those young girls and working with them. Absolutely great. And you talked about the fact that this is an online program that around the world people are participating into that program. Do you see, do you see a special interest from a specific region of the world are you focusing on a specific uh, geographical area? Could you tell us more about that? Yes, of course. So I have to say I'm more focused on the English-speaking market than, than anything else. The schools I'm working with so far come from the UK, mm -hmm. but from the company's perspective, it's they can be from anywhere, and they can, they are from, from Europe and from U the US, the UK and the US. Um, I'm looking to grow to schools, to expand to schools in the U.S. as well. So yeah. far, it's been U.K. only, but I'm looking to grow that too. I think sometimes people want to impact the communities that are closer to home. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking to grow that market as well for companies that are based in the U.S. Right. Excellent. Now, this is a really great project. And uh, as you say, there's a huge benefit uh, for those young girls to participate in that program. Would you say as well that when those girls end the program, there's a benefit that kind of uh, leaked into the society as a whole? Can you see the bigger impact on not just those young girls, but when they get back to school? Can you see other kinds of impact, like positive impact on their schoolmates or, you know, uh, among their friends, family, and when they start working later on? I can imagine that there is a positive impact. Um, because of some child protection policies, we don't always have the contact details of the students once they leave the program and once right. they leave the school, actually. Um, so I can imagine that they have conversations with their family in terms of what they're doing and maybe even um, talk to them, inspire the, their family members and the people around them to be more conscious about the environment. Because a lot of the business problems that we deal with are related to sustainability. So whether that's sustainability in terms of um, the environment or the community, you know, creating a more sustainable communities mm -hmm. i think 
the conversations I imagine that these girls have in their homes with their friends and with their family might inspire some of the people around them to be to think a little bit more consciously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one year when we talked when the theme was related to mental health. Mm-hmm. And actually, there was they then had a week when it was a mental health week in the school where they, what the students wanted was um, to reduce the stigma of talking about mental illness. And this was kind of student-led rather than something that came from the school and from the teacher. So it was coming from the perspective of the students. So that was something um, that happened as well. And I actually just thought of another one. Another one was talking about, again, um, sustainability of the environment and this time related to energy. Right. Uh, one of the student participants realized observed that the computers were not turned off at the end of school. So she went around the different computer rooms, counted the number of computers that were left turned on after school, and then calculated using an online carbon emissions calculator, calculated how much carbon emissions was was wasted. And that, you know, she did a presentation to the teachers. Mm -hmm. And so that also inspired the teachers like, okay, we need to start turning on the computers after class every day. That's great. So those are some of the impact, some of the examples of impact Mm. that I have seen the students make after the program or even during the program really that's outside I guess the confines of the program that's great funny story but uh, yeah I think (laughs) we you know we have an increased awareness of things around us in terms of the environment and social or as well governance right Uh, we talk about ESG I I myself was involved in the ESG word in the past I know it's becoming bigger and bigger so it's great to see that you talk about um, sustainability you talk about better leaders perhaps in the future that I think brings me to your book uh, so you you wrote a book it's called so maybe you could tell me a little bit about what is this book about and uh, yeah why did you start uh, you know with the idea of writing a book good question about why i started writing this book i wrote it really at the start of lockdown in 2020 in march and april of 20 that that idea came around then there was a, obviously a lot more time because I live alone. And it was, I was just close uh, in my own space with no commute. And there was a lot more time on my hands. And so one of the things I thought I would do would be better time than never to write this book that, um, uh, that I've been thinking about. Right. And I chose to write about businesses as a force for good because I think it's, it's a topic that's quite close to my heart. I really believe that if companies, if businesses focus uh, first on doing good, profits and growth naturally flow. Mm. We always need, and this is not to say we need to focus solely on creating impact. I think financial discipline needs to be there as well. Because if you're not financially disciplined, if if you do not create a sustainable business model, then you, you don't have the resources you need in order to create the business, in order to create positive impact, whether it's on your employees and the communities around you or the suppliers that you mm-hmm. work with. So right. having all of that in play, whether it's creating a, a healthy bottom line, um, creating the impact for employees, for partners, for suppliers, for communities, I think that really that is possible, mm-hmm. being more creative about creating win-win situations. I wanted to put that story out mm-hmm. as how other business leaders, people working in large companies or people working in smaller organizations, how people are, how business leaders like that are doing, are creating that arrangement between situations where impact can be created for all the business stakeholders. Mm-hmm. 
Right, very interesting. Yeah, I think it's a very hot topic, actually, in terms of, uh, you know, being able to make profits, but being responsible. I think people tend to question whether, you know, if we do things right, are we truly going to have a sustainable profit over time? But there are more and more research that shows and proves that, you know, if you do things well on different levels, E, S or G, right, you'd be able to maintain some sort of a good financial performance over time and be less impacted by different things that happen in the world. And so your book is called The Altruistic Capitalist. One of the questions I have would be, can we all become an altruistic capitalist? Is that possible? Do we all have the skills and equipped to do that? Or does it take a special character or personality to do that? Uh, good question again. And that's uh, something that is actually in the book. I think from my interviews, I had 50-odd interviews for this book and doing the research for it. The three main themes that came up again and again as I was doing my interviews are mindfulness, leaders who are very present and mindful, uh, practice mindfulness in day to day, are tend to be more tend to be more altruistic capitalists, mm -hmm. if I should right. say. Yeah. Um, second, they are also curious. They ask questions. They um, don't just make the assumptions that sometimes, as I said, sometimes as adults we just rush in and try and figure out the answer immediately, Absolutely. but we don't question. We forget that that curiosity that we had as children to say, but why do we are why are we doing it like this? Mm -hmm. Test those assumptions, and I think that having that curiosity and that interest um, sometimes unlocks certain certain things that we don't see before we actually create that solution. Mm -hmm. So yes, the second one is curiosity, and the third one is um, collaboration. Um, I think we can develop grit and go further and achieve our goals if we think more. In terms of partnerships, who is it that we can partner? Let go of the ego of saying, oh, I have to do this myself and think of how is it that we can work with someone else and even with our competitors, mm -hmm. uh, how is it that we can work together to create this win situation? Uh, yeah. Because what we want is a more sustainable planet, whether it's from a community perspective or from the environment perspective, so that we can all appreciate the benefits of what we have for a much longer time and more sustainably. Um, so I have found that these three things came up consistently as I was interviewing corporate executives, social entrepreneurs, uh, and how that they, you know, developed over time to become more to, in order to create positive impact on all the business stakeholders right. to balance that, to balance the different needs. I think a lot of times people think it's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. Oh, if I, if I do this, then I can't do this. But I think these traits actually help the, the business leaders that I interviewed to think more creatively. How is it that we can actually create a positive impact and balance all those different interests? Right, very interesting. Yeah, I think the three points are, are very important. Um, and it's not just about hard work, but I think it's also having the mental space, like doing mindfulness practice to be able to step back and reflect, right? When we are right into the thing, sometimes we can't think clearly. And one very interesting point that you talk about is doing that collaboration. Um, and asking for help is not an easy thing. I think we all struggle with that for some reason uh, I don't know if that was the case for you but you had to speak to 50 people so 50 people contributed to your book how was it at the beginning was it an easy exercise for you to ask people to contribute what was kind of your the beginning of writing that book it was a lot more work <laughs> I just admit it. writing a book is a, a lot more work than I thought and it really does take a village to do that mm -hmm. I had the benefit I had the benefit of working with a publisher that helped guide me through the process. Mm -hmm. So there were different editors who helped me 
come up with the structure and the shape of the book and how is it that I can go along and then all the way up to publication and even and even post publication how I would do that um, and to your point about asking for help you're right this is something that is difficult I struggled with it a lot earlier on in my career but um as I have worked in different countries and a few times in my life actually learn to let go of that ego (laughs) and to be okay with asking for help. And I think one of the things that I've learned a lot in this process of writing the book, it's not just asking for help, but being okay to be naked to the world to a certain Mm. extent. Because when you write, or this is my writing process, there's a little part of me that that goes into the book. I continue to have a blog uh, that I write a weekly article series. Every time I publish something, it feels a little bit vulnerable because there's a piece of me that goes Mm -hmm. out there. And being being okay with that and having Mm -hmm. the courage to overcome that fear Mm -hmm. of being judged or of not being good enough, imposter syndrome, all of those Mm -hmm. fears that naturally come up in whatever it is that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, The past year since starting to write the book, I've become a little bit more comfortable as Mm -hmm. I face that fear each time to publish something or to ask for help and to also collaborate with people. I think what, what we sometimes fail to realize is how much we have to give to someone else too. Mm-hmm. And mindfulness practice helps with that. Right, absolutely. Oh, that's very impressive. And I think, you know, the, you, you've been doing quite a lot and every time a little bit more and the more you do it, easier it gets with time. And I think this is maybe one of the secrets behind, you know, exposing yourself, doing things really, because it's quite scary to be judged by others. So yeah, it's great that you've been able to overcome that and uh, hopefully you do the same for other projects as well. But now you're kind of used to it. So <laughs> I guess it's just easy <laughs> for you to, to do that. Um, about writing the process of writing the book I guess you went into that book having a, some sort of ideas of where you wanted to end and you know kind of a direction did you feel that changed over time did you actually get a result different from what you thought because of anything conversation with business leaders or your own development was there any difference between the, the start and the end of the book um no actually I didn't have a fixed idea as to what as to what I wanted to say, I mean, I didn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a fictional story in that, okay, this is how I see the story arc. How it came together was because I did those 50 odd interviews with um, different business leaders as well as social entrepreneurs. Um, I, if you like, it was like lots of post-it notes on the wall <laughs> with like different notes and different ideas. And then I slowly pulled them together. It was a little bit of a modular writing process in the, how my editor my developmental editor guided me was don't write the story in a linear way so it wasn't written in a linear way mm-hmm. it was just stories based on my conversations with the different leaders uh, written in written on its own right. and then we move things around mm-hmm. to structure it to make it into a book mm-hmm. so in that sense it didn't there wasn't a fixed idea of what I wanted the book to look like at the mm-hmm. start um, it all just kind of came together at the end uh, where things moved around and of course then I had to change some of the words in order that sure. the story in order that the book flowed but yeah it was kind of a modular approach where 
you know, okay, this piece goes here and this piece goes there. It was really like lots of post-it notes. Like a lot of post-it notes around and I should have a big wall to be able to put all your ideas. But it's great you've been able to, you know, kind of arrange that and with the help, as, with some help as well. So this is a, a great process. So now writing a book sounds like a big mountain to me and it's very, very impressive. But I guess it helps you also see your ideas and the progress that are being made in the world. And talking about progress, I guess you've spoken to those, you know, business leaders and entrepreneurs. Um, could you tell us about some of the initiatives that you've discovered by speaking with them and, you know, the impact that it has on communities or on employers? So if you could tell us a bit more about that. Sure, of course. And now there are there's a lot more businesses doing sustainable work than we think. For instance, there was one company, there was one social entrepreneur I spoke to, and he was then employing ex-veterans, people in the Detroit area that were unemployed. So he was then helping them create gainful employment in order to, in order for them to sustain, to them to sustain a living wage. There's also another one that's based in London. And what she is doing is she is training refugees in the community, in technology, in technology skills, and then matching them up with companies who are looking for uh, people with technical skills. Uh, and so there are actually a lot more companies that perhaps fly under the radar that we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of uh, positive impact for the communities. Right. Yeah, I guess, as you said, it's a, again, it's a, it's a hot topic. And I think a lot of people understand that it's important to try to make a positive impact and to run businesses in a sustainable way. So it's, it's really great. And if you've interviewed 50 people, you know, 50 people is already quite a lot. So if there were 50 people here and there, that makes it an even better world. So um, talking about the content of, of the book, you know, if people read it, what would you say are the kind of the three key takeaway uh, from your books that people can start implementing today? Um, three things that people can start today. I had one recently, actually, um, one of my readers wrote to me, I thought it was quite nice because one of the things that I share from the mindfulness um, chapter is give people that space to reflect and to think at the start of the meetings. This was a practice that's done at Eileen Fisher's, a sustainable fashion company for women. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, and you might experience this as well, we are running from one meeting to another. We barely have enough time sure. to breathe, let alone to think, mm-hmm. what is this meeting? Why am I here? What are we talking about? Right. And so what they do at Eileen Fisher is they start each meeting with a minute of silence. Mm-hmm. And they give people time to just, whether it's closing their eyes and putting away their devices, just that space to breathe and to reflect. And then they start. It's like, how are you doing? Mm. I think being human to each other, and that's an easy one that we can do. It doesn't even take that much time. Sure. It just takes a little bit of interest and in say, how are you doing? After that minute of silence, and that creates more safe and secure work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it treats, it gives each other respect in that space that helps us to be more productive and to be to perform better at work. So that's one that's, that's easy to do. Uh, I would also, another thing I like to say is we have a lot more power in our hands than we think. We can be more conscious. We can be more conscious about who we from. Like, what are the products that we are consuming? Do we need to consume such products? Mm-hmm. Who is it that we're working with? Um, and who is it that we're investing our money in? Are we investing in companies that are sustainable or not? Um, and then the third thing I want to say is um, 
I guess just start and, and do something, whether it's um, spending an hour, investing an hour of your time to support a local community, um, to be a bit, again, to be more conscious of where is it that you're consuming stuff, mm-hmm. or whether or not you're consuming too much. Those are the three things I think that you can just really start thinking about today. Great. Yeah, because I guess like having a positive or trying to make a positive impact on the world is is such a big mission. So sometimes it's a little overwhelming to know where to start and there are many people doing many things. So yeah, I guess those kind of three takeaways are important for people to really think what what they want to do, how, why, etc. And to get started because we can have the ideas, but practically speaking, it's always a big challenge. So um, and now having interviewed... Um, those people have you you know have you had any surprise on how things are done or uh, do you feel there's there are uh, so many progresses compared to when you started trying to get involved in in that uh, sustainability arena yeah do you feel things have changed a lot over the years and and the next question would be what is left to be done to achieve that even greater world uh good question Uh, so i am quite an optimistic and hopeful person I think in the next, let's call it 24 to 36 months, we will start to see a change where companies become more conscious and become more more thoughtful about how they do business and how to create a sustainable business. Partly that's because the World Economic Forum proposed 21 stakeholder capitalism metrics. And so that means that companies will have to start thinking about their diversity um, composition. How is it that they're governing their business? Are they uh, investing enough in the local community? So some of these metrics that are in there um, that will become mandatory reporting. So mm, um, right. in addition to the profit profit and loss and balance sheet, now the companies will also have to start reporting on these non-financial metrics. And when they are forced to, and when companies have are obligated to report on these metrics, then they start thinking about it because what is measured is done. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact that you mentioned that these are mandatory reporting, it's obviously forces companies to report on those uh, non-financial criteria. And I think that's important. Um, around the, the world, there are many framework that companies can use as guidelines but at the end of the day it's kind of optional so and that was a question I had about accountability I think it's important to hold companies accountable for what they do um, what do you think are the other things we can do to have companies be accountable for the good and the bad actions that they do do you have any opinion on that or any experience on on this accountability tool that we can use uh, I think a lot of times we say, well, companies have this, but companies are run by people, right? And we are part of companies and organizations. I think it starts with us, each one of us in the organizations, in the groups we work with, to be more, to think a bit more consciously, to raise our voices when we when we see something that is not right. If we think there's a better way of doing it, doing things, as if there's a better way and more sustainable way of doing things, speak up. If we think, if we see unconscious biases that are being uh, in front of us, speak up, say something. Mm-hmm. I, I think that starts to change how things are being done, how things are being talked about. And that makes, in little ways, overall and over time, there will be a bigger impact on the organization, on the culture and on the people around us. Mm-hmm. Great, absolutely. And do you think there are some kind of resistance from some industries to, you know, to have sustainable practice or some resistance from industries or people? Have you encountered this kind of resistance around you? 
in different conversations over my career, um, I have heard people talk about the, oh, but if I do this and then I, I won't have enough resources to do that, for instance, there's that trade-off thing. So I think one of the resistance comes from that mindset, oh, I it's a win-lose situation. Mm-hmm. People are not thinking and win. So it's a mindset thing. And another way is perhaps changing the way businesses are done. We businesses to a certain extent are so have been focused so much on the profit stemming from studying from Milton Friedman's article in 1970 in the New York Times saying um, the social responsibility of business is to increase profits. I think that has been taken too much to the extreme. And if you really read the article in properly, then it's, he also talks about ethics of the business and how is it that we can grow businesses sustainably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I And that has start to change with the business roundtable and with global CEOs. Back in 2019, we need to start balancing the interests of the other stakeholders of the business as well, not just the investors. Mm-hmm. And you're right, I think a balance uh, expression is very important here, is very key because, you know, people used to think about either making money or just being sustainable, and, and but the two can come together. And, and I think this is at the core of your book and uh, all the projects that you, you've been involved in in the past and perhaps now. And some uh, one question I had about your the future plans that you have, uh, is there anything that, you know, you want to get involved even more in the future or any new field you want to, you know, dig a little bit and see what What's out there? I am not sure if there is one that I'm thinking about specifically. I have always been someone who is quite open and listening to what comes up. So I, I don't have, so to answer your question, no, I do not have a feel in mind, mm-hmm. but I'm open to different opportunities at the moment. Right. Okay. So we're coming close to the end of the session and I'd like to ask you one important question. So people listen to your initiatives and you're a really great dynamic person. It's very inspiring to hear about what you've been doing. And um, now if you could just make everyone in the world do one thing differently, could you tell us what would it be? So the thing that came up in my conversations with for the book and the research for the book is um, what surprised me was how many of these business leaders are mindful, practice mindfulness, whether it's, you know, going out for a workout in the morning or having a gratitude practice or even journaling. I would like to encourage our listeners on, on the show today to perhaps spend just five minutes a day to be more mindful, whether that is whether that's sitting and meditating for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is uh, very important to be able to do that on a daily basis and take that time to, you know, to, to stay mindful and to, to detach and get some time to be able to rest our mind and see things from a different perspective. Um, uh, great. Thank you so much, Lynn. It was very interesting to, to hear about your background, about what you've been doing. Very inspiring. And, and I hope, I do hope I'll have the chance to be able to, um, to read your book. Definitely, you've convinced me that I should definitely take a look at it. And perhaps myself, I'm one of those leaders that also do things in a responsible way. Lynn, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. And uh, we hope to have you again as a guest and you inspire a lot of people and I wish you all the best for your venture. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. Thank you. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Hustlers for a Cause. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss a new episode. This helps us keep interviewing incredible individuals and sharing their remarkable stories with you. This episode of Hustlers for a Cause was brought to you by Blabberjacks. If you're an influencer that's creating meaningful change in the world and you're looking for help increasing the reach and distribution of your message, contact Blabberjacks today.
See you next time on Hustlers for a Cause. Until then, keep hustling.